Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. is Transfiguration Sunday, and our first passage comes to us from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 2. I invite you to turn in your pew Bibles to page 169 or in your personal. Hear now these words. Since then, we have such a hope. We act with great boldness. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there, since only Christ is it set aside. Only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. As many of you may be familiar with Transfiguration Sunday and the story that we share from the Gospel of Luke today, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, They saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he'd said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. Radiant God, reveal your presence to us this day. God of light and love and glory, 
as you did to your servants at the foot of the mountain, send your spirit to show us your story. May the brilliance of your face illuminate this place as we dare to proclaim your word. And may we, your people, be never unable to tell of all that we have heard. Amen. Church, it feels like we've been saying it's been a hard week, every week, for far too many weeks. I was three years old when the Berlin Wall fell. I was five when the Soviet Union dissolved. And so I don't remember those moments in history the way that many of you do, the way that my parents do. And I can only imagine the ways you're feeling today. I know the ways I'm feeling, but to be drawn back to days of fear and uncertainty, I can only imagine the way many people around the world are feeling triggered by a past that feels so very present. All of us are triggered in different ways. Maybe we feel angry or sad or numb or scared. Maybe we turn inward, we isolate ourselves. Perhaps we seek community, people to join hands with so we don't feel so alone in our fear, in our anger. Perhaps we showed up here this morning hoping and praying that God can help us make sense of a chaotic world together. I'm not a politician or a diplomat. I'm not a soldier. I'm not a civilian hunkered down in the lowest level of my home. I'm a pastor and I'm a young pastor. And my wisdom is limited and I'm still learning. So this morning I'm gonna try my very best to be faithful to both the word and to you. I'm not going to ignore the chaos around us because I believe we all showed up this morning not trying to escape, but to expect that God can help us find a way and God can help us find hope even in a truly chaotic world. In the midst of chaos, however, we continue to be a connected world and we as Methodists are a very connected church. So I thought, I would share a personal pastoral letter on the crisis in Ukraine from our connection, from the United Methodist Bishop Christian Alstead, who serves in the central conference that consists of the Nordic, Baltic, and Eurasian countries, including Russia and Ukraine. He writes, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. It's John 14, 27. There is war in Europe. Russia has invaded Ukraine, which is a free independent democracy. War and violence are evil and always entail considerable human costs. The Christian message points to the path of reconciliation and never to war and violence as a solution to conflicts. In the face of this evil, we pray for a logic different from the one based on geopolitical competition. We pray for a change of hearts and minds of leaders. We pray for de-escalation and dialogue instead of violence and war. The social principles of the United Methodist Church say, we deplore war and urge the peaceful settlement of all disputes among nations. From the beginning, the Christian conscience has struggled with the harsh realities of violence and war. For these evils clearly frustrate God's loving purposes for humankind. 
We yearn for the day when there will be no more war and people will live together in peace and justice. Our central conference consists of Nordic, Baltic, and Eurasian countries, including Russia and Ukraine. The Christian church is not nationalistic and our relations with our brothers and sisters in other countries are not limited by nationality or culture. We have deep relations with Methodists in Ukraine and in Russia, and although we are influenced by our culture and the political realities, we must never allow this to hinder or break our unity in Christ. We stand with United Methodists in Ukraine in prayer for protection, reconciliation, and peace. We pray for pastors, leaders, and congregations in the United Methodist Church in Ukraine May God grant that their witness of reconciliation and peace will bring strength and hope to the Ukrainian people. We pray for Bishop Edward Hige, both Bishop of both Russia and Ukraine. May God give him the wisdom and grace that he needs in his ministry and leadership under these challenging circumstances. And skipping ahead, in the coming week, we will enter the season of Lent, which in the church is a time of prayer and soul searching. I call on all our congregations to intercede for the people of Ukraine and for the leaders in the world who have the power to bring an end to war. I call on all our congregations to pray and fast for reconciliation and peace in the world. May God, in his grace, open our eyes to the things that make for peace. May he protect us from all the escalation and spreading of war, and may we follow him on his path of truth and peace. May Christ have mercy on us all. Bishop Christian Alstead. Church, most of my days, like many of yours, are spent doing the work, making the food, loving the family, changing the diapers. That one's a bit more specific. Falling asleep. Repeat. We find our rhythms and they order our lives. And when they are upended, as they have been so abruptly over these last two years, we feel flattened and fearful and out of control and lost. Our lives have been disrupted, our communities have been disrupted, our homes have been disrupted, and now the world again has been disrupted. We feel flattened and fearful and out of control and lost. We wonder and we cry out with the prophets, will the ground beneath us ever feel sturdy again? We show up here together hoping God will speak louder than the disruption. We gather this morning, as Bishop Alstead said, on the cusp of the season of Lent, a season of lament and repentance, a season meant to disrupt our spiritual lives and awaken us, or we reawaken us, to God's grace, to God's glory in new ways as we journey toward Easter. This story in Luke's gospel is a disruption in the lives of these three disciples. They didn't expect what happened on that mountain to happen. If they'd expected it or understood it, they would have been prepared. They would have known what to say. They wouldn't have been rendered silent upon their descent. What they anticipated from Jesus' invitation to go up the mountain to pray was exactly that. They imagined they'd stand by while Jesus prayed. Scripture tells us this incident happened about eight days after Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. 
a sermon that in its own way disrupted the lives of the disciples. Pastor Adam preached on it last Sunday, love your enemies. The disciples are probably still processing exactly what those words mean amongst themselves. What exactly does Jesus mean, love your enemies? What do these words require of them? And as they continue their journey, as they continue the ministry, Jesus, unsurprisingly, tell them, tells them he's going up the mountain to pray. And so as they accompany him, again, most likely as a measure of protection, they're standing by, exhausted, the scripture tells us, but faithfully doing what Jesus has asked of them. Nothing more, really. And then while Jesus is praying, something unexpected happens. His appearance changes. His clothes become dazzling white. And two other men, Moses and Elijah, they join Jesus and they start talking together. And the disciples, tired but faithful, they witness what's before them and they have absolutely no clue what to do. They're confused. They've never experienced something like this before. It's spectacular. I imagine it's warm and beautiful. I imagine its power consumes them entirely. Everything, all other thought, pain, fear, it subsides in this moment. And again, they have no frame of reference for this experience. So Peter fumbling, he says, the first thing he thinks of, let me build you three, a home, a dwelling place, uh, one for Jesus, one for Elijah, one for Moses, right then and there. Peter wants to stay here. He wants them to stay. He wants to hold on to the glory he's witnessed. He doesn't want to go back down the mountain, back to the disrupted world. He wants to stay here in this glory. And as he fumbles, this cloud, this fog, it overwhelms him. And they hear this voice saying, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Now, biblical scholars have done their best for two millennia trying to explain what happens on this mountain. What occurs in the transfiguration when the glory of Jesus is revealed on a mountain in Elijah and Moses show up. And much of the consensus among them is that it's, well, a mystery. Many say that this glimpse of God's glory foreshadows the glory that will come on Easter. They suggest that being reminded today of the glory that is to come will sustain us through this Lenten season ahead. Because experiencing God's glory today gives us hope that we will see God's glory again. Man, I love that liturgical movement, that the story that our church wants to tell us, that the seasons are intended to reveal, is beautiful. There's this long road to be traveled between today and the empty tomb, and we need hope. We need assurance that God's glory is still available, and it's still there waiting to be revealed to us. And I also draw so much hope this morning from leaning into what the disciples must have experienced in this story, what they'll experience in the chapters ahead. Here they are, these three ordinary fishermen, 
doing the work faithfully to the best of their ability, following Jesus, faltering along the way, but trying to follow him. You want us to go up the mountain? All right, we'll go up the mountain. They may not understand everything, and they're probably still reeling from all that disruptive love your enemy talk. But they keep trying, and we keep trying. And for what? Why do the disciples do it? Why do they keep trying? Why do we keep trekking? We may not even consciously know all the time. Church, I think we keep on keeping on in a broken world, in a chaotic world, in a disrupted world. We keep on showing up here together because we are desperate to glimpse God's glory. We are desperate to glimpse God's glory, to know God's presence. And don't we want to glimpse God's glory? And are we, and we're willing to be confused, as confused by it as Peter. We want to see Jesus' dazzling face. We want to be stunned. We want a disruption in our lives that fills our souls. We want a disruption in our lives that fills our souls. That is the transfiguration. To catch a glimpse of God's glory and to be changed by it. So this season of Lent, it's a time where we can intentionally tell Jesus, I'll go up that mountain. I'll do what you ask of me. I'll be faithful in some, in one, maybe, intentional way. I will disrupt my own life with an intention or a practice that might open me to a disruption that fills my soul, that might give me new eyes to see the glory before me. Because even in the chaos of this week, in the chaos of world powers enacting violence and war, I had to change that from threatening to enacting violence of war. Even in the midst of it, God's glory disrupts. Jesus' light shines in the faces of brave Ukrainian NICU nurses relocating babies to safety. Jesus' brilliance shines in the resilience of neighbors helping neighbors find shelter. Jesus' glory shouts from the mouths of peacemakers and peacekeepers all around the world. Jesus' glory is being revealed all among us and within us. And we're being called, as Paul writes in that letter to 2 Corinthians, to reflect that glory. How might we more intentionally seek to see Jesus' glory revealed in these days ahead? And how might we more intentionally seek to reflect God's glory? Bishop Alstead encouraged us to pray, to fast this season of Lent, lifting up Ukraine in our most fervent petitions. And for some of us, that might feel like we're not doing enough. For others, that might feel like more than we could possibly imagine doing. But Jesus is inviting every single one of us up that mountain. And how we feel called to travel, let that be our Lenten practice. Maybe that's prayer 
or fasting or journaling or setting aside some time to be quiet. Maybe it's listening to worship music. Maybe it's finding a way to volunteer once a week through the season. IFC is serving on Thursday. Maybe it's making a contribution to help support people around the world in desperate need. Maybe it's offering words of gratitude around the dinner table. Maybe it's committing to walking in a posture of prayer once a week instead of listening to that podcast. Church, we can go up the mountain. We can go up the mountain with Jesus this Lenten season. And as we journey, as we wait, and as we trust, we believe that we will glimpse God's glory. Let us close with a blessing from the Reverend Jan Richardson. That when glory comes, we will open our eyes to see it. That when glory shows up, we will let ourselves be overcome, not by fear, but by the love it bears. That when glory shines, we will bring it back with us all the way, all the way, all the way down. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.